Oh, it's good to, good to see you guys tonight. See, he's reading right out of his uh, electronic Bible. Oh, we are in Ephesians 3, if you'll see on the board. That's to correct that crazy mistake I have on your sheet there that says 1, chapter 1. I'm starting to manifest my age. My my brain went out. Anyway, who knows what else you'll run into there. I'm glad the Word of God doesn't do that. Dennis makes mistakes. Word of God never does. Uh. Hey, uh, we are moving into the ultimate purpose of all Christian doctrine, of all the Christian faith, of Christian salvation itself. That's where we're headed. To the ultimate purpose. What's the ultimate purpose? Well, I thought we already were there. They say we're not. At the close of this section which is somewhere around verse 12, I believe. Um, actually, it's verse 13, but right around in verse 12, where it talks about boldness and access or confidence through faith in Him, we have access to Him. That means uh, He brings us right into the presence of Himself, God does, so we can worship, so we can pray. But before we look at that, we need to look at where we left off last week in verse 10. We need to see how important... The church is in God's eternal plan. And uh, I hope you're excited. Like I said last week, I hope you're excited uh, if, you, if you read ahead or if you read in the text that we're at and you keep looking at that. Uh, it is just incredible. Uh, what we have to grasp here is probably one of the most astonishing phenomenons the world has ever seen. The only thing is most people don't recognize it. They don't, when they see the church, they don't see what is being spoken about here in Scripture. But when you uh, when you look at it, and Piper puts it in, in such words that I, I can. I, I try to describe things like this, and I, I just fall so short. So I have to borrow from people sometimes, much of the time. The Church of Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, is the most important institution in the world. Agree? The assembly of the redeemed, the company of the saints, the children of God, are more significant in world history than any other group, organization, or nation. Then he he made some comparisons. He said the United States of America compares to the church of Jesus Christ like a speck of dust compares to the sun. If you can fathom that a little bit, it's... uh, then he he went on to say the drama of international relations, all the relations that the nations have in all the world, compares to the mission of the church like a kindergarten riddle compares to Hamlet, or all the pomp and pageantry that's involved at um, the Rose Bowl parade, New Year's Day, all of that fades into a formless gray as Piper says, against the splendor of the bride of Christ. So then he goes on to say, take heed how you judge when you when you look at the church and, and you see that, hey, this is something God is making here. Things are not as what they may be seeming to be. It's much better than what it may look to you. So anyway... Uh, and then he went on to say, the gates of Hades, the powers of death, will prevail against every institution except one, the church. So, my problem is this. How can I bring my own heart, my own thinking, 
to sense this grandeur that is in the Scripture here that we're dealing with here today and not to treat it so lightly that we just move right on over it and and, uh, we miss what the depth uh, is involved there. Uh, How can I find words that can open the very eyes of our heart, right? As the song says, open the eyes of my heart. How, how can we how can we see this that that's there? I I feel inadequate. I sit down and I've I've read this text and I've tried to put into words and I won't be able to put into words exactly what it all means. And when we're done, we're still not going to be able to grasp what this really means. Hopefully, we'll get some. Uh, it is quite uh, quite heavy. I'm just a, a clay pot an earthen vessel, and uh, my words can be like a leaky pot. <laughs> but when we get into the text, it is so glorious, so amazing and astonishing what God has here, and it's just just fantastic. And when you look at it, and you look at it long enough, at least you grasp an idea that this is the most amazing thing that's in all of creation, this church the very body of Christ. And it's interesting, as Paul ends the section at verse 13, and then he ends what we know as chapter 3, starting at verse 14 through 19, is his prayer after this. Because after he's done with it, he is in amazement and he prays that they will get what he's talking about. And we saw a prayer earlier that Paul had at the end of chapter 1, for instance. Um, And now here at the end of chapter 3 is where he's heading. And he asked for God's help that they would know the the length and the the depth, the the height of what God has revealed in this text that we're even dealing with here. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the church of which we belong to is the most astonishing phenomenon the world has ever seen. Like I said last week, you think of Grand Canyon, you think of Niagara Falls, all the tremendous sights that are in our country and all over the world, and they are nothing compared to this fantastic church. It's more wonderful than anything seen in nature, Jones says. I think it's staggering that God would work through little old me and you guys and do it to not only bring glory to Him, but He dignifies us. And He brings glory to the church because it's really the the body of Christ. And when Paul talks about the church here in this chapter 3, it probably is beyond anything else he has ever said about the church, uh, the glorious splendor here. Nothing about the church goes higher than this. In this section, Ephesians just keeps going up that mountain, doesn't it? We just keep climbing and looking at this great scenery that He has given us. So, our prayer is that He would open our eyes tonight so that we could see, all of us as believers, that we could see that we have been given gifts that God has given us and we are part of this cosmic showcase that God has, that He's putting on display, and He's the Creator of it. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank You for this evening. We thank You for who You are. My, You are glorious. You are full of splendor and majesty. May we grasp that and may we understand somewhat of what this passage is about and that it would change us of how we think of the church, that we would have a higher esteem for it, for it is the greatest work that you have done as far as salvation is concerned and what you have for the plan of the ages. What an incredible process that you are involved with and you're, you will bring it to its fruition. And what a glory it is to be thinking about who you are, what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read this text. And uh, let's... Let's back up to verse 8 and uh, get it in its context. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Here we go. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is where it's all heading. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. What a section. What a section. And then he has the great prayer there. All right, well, in uh, in verse 10, his intent is that now that manifold wisdom of God would be known. That's, and we looked at that last week a little bit. Multicolored, multifaceted. We, we saw it as the illustration of a prism. When white light hits a prism goes through there, scatters, and goes into different colors. All the spectrums and different colors, colors of the rainbow, uh, comes out of uh, a prism. Well, that's what the church is, in the sense that God has given all of these, He's given the light to us, and as it goes through the church, then it's manifold, or it has been brought out in many different ways, many different varieties now is, is seen. The angels saw some glimpses of God, but without the church they would not have seen how His grace works because they never experienced grace as far as the angels are concerned. They aren't saved. They are, they're saved. They were kept from uh, falling, but uh, they never fell. So they didn't need uh, to be redeemed. They... Uh, are understanding that, and we'll understand it further as history goes on, 
but it it's so manifold it transcends any kind of capacity that we have it goes way beyond our thinking doesn't it i mean what does this all mean <laughs> i mean it's incredible it's great to think about but my mind can grasp it all it's uh finite this is so deep what god has given us but our knowledge is just a slender proportion of what we will know and what the angels even know now but our learning uh, because of the church the supreme church uh, supreme purpose of the church is to what glorify god and how does it do it well in this sense here in this text by manifesting his wisdom before the great creation of the angels he's going to manifest his wisdom through us who right now are far beyond us intellectually angels are spirit beings far above us much mightier but yet he's using us to do that supreme purpose so the church breaks up the whiteness like a prism does with the white light into colors of the spectrum what a glory the angels are seeing we'll see in this body of Christ so that the church is the final expression of the wisdom of God and as we know it here today we we exist for God's glory we live for that we were created by him for him the manifold wisdom now made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church same kind of thinking that we've been doing in the first seven verses of this chapter Paul uh, gets something revealed to him and it's the mystery of Christ uh, he started off hey this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles if indeed you have heard the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery so Paul got the mystery from God direct revelation from God to him and then he wants them to understand that this is a mystery of Christ something that hadn't been revealed before and 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 not really known in it in its fullest manner as it is now he says that was given me to, to do that's what God gave me to do to reveal this mystery so it was given to me then in verses 8 and 9 we see that Paul was to preach that amongst the Gentiles so the revelation is revealed to Paul for seven verses 8 and 9 the mystery then is preached to the nations and then in verse 10 the revelation is revealed by the church to the angels the mystery of God is known in, in this sense we are the ones that are broadcasting it telecasting it to the principalities of powers the angels are astonished that Jews and Gentiles would be together in love Jews and Gentiles do you guess what I just <laughs> I mean to the even to the Jews and Gentiles today who are not in Christ they can't even understand that 
uh, and down through history you couldn't. But if you're a Christian, you can. You can see how people of uh, different backgrounds, and especially Jew and Gentile, they hated each other, and we've gone into that. But the church is the very medium of this manifestation. We are the ones who carry that through. So it, it makes up uh, all the people of all, all the world. And many times I think people have thought that the church was at its end. It's going to come to its end. Look at that. We finally destroyed it. People have tried to get rid of it. People have scorned and ridiculed and made fun of the church. Still do today. <laughs> Quite frequently, don't they? And matter of fact, they, they've almost buried the church. At least they thought. But remember, this bride of Christ is coming from who? God. This bride of Christ resurrects, if we can put it in that way. And whenever it resurrects, it has times of revival. Maybe not long periods of time, but God shows who He is again to people and His Word is recovered. And even back through Jewish history, we'll see that the Word of God was was hidden for years when they had bad kings and then one king would discover the Word and then he'd bring it back out and then they'd preach it. Of course, you think of the time of Nehemiah and the Word of God was preached to people and these people hadn't heard this preached and didn't know anything about it. All of a sudden, you know, they were worshiping God. And, of course, we think of the uh, Reformation as one of the greatest revivals, don't we? There have been different periods in time. The Reformation was definitely one of the greatest that God has used. And uh, he, it is, the church was, like, resurrected. Even though, outwardly, there was a big church, a big state church, but He showed what was real. But the church is here to glorify God in the very ultimate way, to manif- manifest His wisdom. Okay, what about this principalities and powers? You know, I've been saying angels. I just take for granted that uh, you already kind of come to that conclusion that principalities and powers are that. I'm sure there have been different uh, ideas on what this is, but almost always you look in good commentaries and they'll say these are angels. Some of them will say it's good and bad angels. Some will say it's good only, and others will say it's bad only. And uh, that ranges from maybe some of your favorite teachers of the day and, and in the past. Uh, they they can have disagreements, but I... I can I can definitely say it's it's definitely dealing with angels. I think if we were to look in Ephesians 1:21, Paul has kind of uh, alluded to that a little bit. Whenever he said uh, uh, Christ was raised uh, from the dead, seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in that which is to come. There are living creatures such as the uh, the animals, the animal world. Then you have humans. And then you have angels. We know the Bible teaches a lot about angels. So he said it, even, it went far past the realm of the angels. This is Christ who was seated in the heavenlies. Go to uh, Colossians 1.16. Now, are you guys watching these guys with their electronic Bibles? Are they beating us? Are, are they are they beating me? Are they beating you there was, as we turn? I just looked ahead on the thing. Okay. Well, I, I missed it. What does Colossians one sixteen? We'll see if you're really turning there. If that's really a really a scripture that you're turning to. What is Colossians one sixteen? There you go. Sure. All right. For by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Ah. 
Well, must have turned to a Bible scripture there. <laughs> Something about Christ being the Creator, and uh, he talks about heaven and earth, and there again he takes it to as far as you can go. And when he talks about thrones, you could you could think of thrones here, powerful places, but then the dominions, prince, principalities, powers, the angelic realm, which is even higher than the human realm. Um, again, that's Paul writing in Ephesians and in Colossians. Uh, you can turn back to Ephesians 6.12. Let's see if, see if they can get this here. Bill, you got it? No. Oh, I'm already there. It says, for we do not rest. <laughs> now he's going to the real... <laughs> well, did, you, did you get there? Did you beat me? Three going. I got the rest you got there. Right at the same time. Okay, because I only had a few pages to go back to you were going. I was going to that. What's it say there, Zach? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. All right. I think everybody would recognize that passage. Spiritual warfare. We recognize these as uh, the the demons there. Uh, the bad angels that we fight against, that we struggle against. So sometimes it can mean the bad angels, or it can mean good angels. Maybe it means both. Uh, but uh, I don't have to worry about uh, specifically bringing all that out. Uh, what it is is that these are definitely... Um, the uh, the creatures that uh, that are above us, uh, whether they're bad or good, it's angelic realm. They're mentioned in First Corinthians eleven ten, and it's almost kind of like they. Uh, we know in Hebrews it says that they minister to us, and in First Corinthians eleven, it's kind of a a different kind of a odd passage when you first read it, but. Uh, I'm sure there will be questions on this, but it, sorry, it's in Corinthians, and we do that on Sundays, so you'll have to wait. So, that's right. <laughs> what, what we're getting across here, again, uh, angels can see what's going on in the world. Uh, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And it doesn't say anything more on there, but it does say because of the angels. So you guys know the next time you come here, you better have your heads covered next Monday night because we re- <laughs> we're not going to get into that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we could. Yeah. Okay. Like I said, we're not going to elaborate on that one. Okay. Go to First Timothy five twenty one. But you, you see, the they, uh, angels, they're, they're checking us out. What's that? I'm going back to 1 Corinthians 11. <laughs> Where did that, what is that? Okay. That'll make you check out. 1 Timothy 5.21. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. I'm charging you, Paul says to Timothy. Before God, God's seeing this. God is a, as a witness, and Jesus Christ, and not only God, Jesus Christ, but who else? The elect angels. Hmm. That's good angels there. Then, since you're around that area, go to Hebrews one fourteen, and this is you guys. You guys there? Bill. You, you've been turning to the real scripture too at the same time, aren't you? Just to yeah. see if they're saying the same thing. Both. Okay. 
Can, can you read out of that one? Uh, Hebrews what? One fourteen. This is the King James. One fourteen. <laughs> it's hard. Ah, oh, my! Everybody has turned to one fourteen. But you have two Bibles to turn to. No, I'm only doing the one. And okay. King James. All right. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Aha. So they, they do what? What do the angels do? Minister. Minister to us. And because they're spirit beings, we don't even see it. But it's happening. Hmm. How do they do that? How do they do that? What do they do for us? A service. Hey, they did in the Old Testament. They did a lot of things in the Old Testament. And I guess they still do things. To, I, don't know how, I don't know what was happening back in the old days whenever I would be driving at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning and uh, I was doing good to see the road at that time of the, the morning because I'd been driving all night. And I know there were times I had been dri- driving off the road and I wonder how long I was driving off the road. <laughs> Somehow I would, to keep from going off these cliffs that I would eventually see as I go, whoa, I'd be jerking back over. I always wondered, was that an angel that uh, got me back over here? Because I should have been down that ravine. You guys could probably relate to some of those, right? I don't know, but then I've heard stories where people have had some kind of uh, connection or had their lives saved or in, in other instances that they knew that it was not a human being that did it some kind of angel <laughs> anyway they serve us in many many ways the angels when you think about it have seen God's wisdom all throughout history they've examined this they've looked at in the world that we live in and they're not bound by but they, they've seen that they've watched humans They've seen how God has handled the nations, how He'll bring up a leader, raise them up, terrify all the other nations, and then God will then take that leader and bring him down, bring down that nation, and then raise up other ones, scatter the enemies. They disappear like they were never there before. God does that. The angels are watching this. They're checking that out. The angels watched all of human history. You can imagine they watched... Adam, Eve, um, they saw God calling Abram. Maybe they saw that. I don't want to read into things, but uh, they knew that he's out of a pagan country. He's a pagan. He's worshiping somebody else than the one true God. And God takes him into a foreign land. They witnessed that. I'm sure that they witnessed God forming a nation. And, of course, he used angels at this time to communicate to people, and uh, they would manifest themselves as humans. Uh, Then God uh, furthered his plan by working through people like Isaac and then Jacob. He didn't work through Ishmael, which was really his first son, and he didn't work through Esau, who was born before Jacob, twins were. And I'm sure that was quite a quandary. They didn't understand it all, but they saw his purpose unfolding. And so they're they're looking. This has to be an incredible thing as God is working with the human beings in this world. And he calls sinners to repentance. 
in the Old Testament time period, New Testament. Then he saw the children of Israel going down into Egypt. Then they they saw God work with them as uh, He brought up Moses, as the people had been in slavery, and how He later delivers them out of that, out of the bondage. Um, the angels had to see this nation go into Canaan, the promised land. Then I'm sure they saw the sin that they did in Canaan. And then I'm sure that they saw, for instance, the Assyrians, or how about Babylon, take away uh, the Israelites and, of course, destroy the, the, the temple in the way that they did. Or um, you know, they marched them, many of them, uh, to that land. And then they returned back to the land of Canaan. The angels watched God and His wisdom throughout all the Old Testament days. And um, even when there was 400 years where God didn't reveal Himself, they were still looking at uh, these people. And I'm sure that as they see that, they see that God is even greater than they ever imagined. As much wisdom as they had. That's right. That's that's where it's all headed, isn't it? Well, through the church, through these people who are redeemed, that don't deserve anything from God, the church is how they're going to see the greatest manifestation of the wisdom of God. They've seen all this stuff, but this is the best revelation that they're going to have of the wisdom of God, as as of yet anyway. Uh, out of all the things that God can do, this is what He's using to show how great He is. Now that's, uh, I mean, that's staggering to me. Certainly do. They understand the glory of God much better than we do. It's hard for me to see why God wants us. Because we That's the whole idea. to die for us and redeem us and offer salvation and... And I'm looking at the church and thinking, yeah, right, God got the short end of the stick. What the angels must think, no one better than we do who God is, and being with God and looking at this mess here and saying, you see how high God is. What? There's the wisdom (laughs) of God. Yeah. That's incredible. Isn't it? I was just thinking of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. How the angels really looked at that when he was uh, wild, a crazy wild thing, and then he turned. Then he, he turned to the Lord. Wow! God's ways are not our ways, are they? The wisdom of God. Bob. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if you all can help us find that uh, reference in one of the gospels. I think where Jesus is talking about. Uh, the, uh, talking about the children and their defense and something about the angels or their angels are always the father or father throne or something like that there's uh, some sort of a ministering yeah there and I was rebuking um, the disciples for about harming the children uh, well, he's re- he's talking about the the angels actually having a role before the Father on behalf of his children. 
Ah, look, electronically, look what happened here. All right, here we go. Here's the future right with us today. Okay, what is it? Keep going with it. Whoever owns himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven who receives one such. Uh-huh. Keep going. Whoever receives one such child, my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones to be believing me to sin, it would be better for him to have him great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. We didn't get the angel on that one, did we? Okay, well, there's still little flaws in those things, so he'll keep working at it. Can, can you hang on with that? Okay, they're working at it, Bob. Hang on, they're going to come up. The pressure's on them now. We'll keep going with this, and then we'll bring this back. If you guys can draw up some kind of visual for us, maybe shine it up here. Well, okay, but no, you know, I originally, Bob, believe it or not, had written that down and. Um, I don't think I I wound up putting it on my outline. Oh really? Um, and now I can't remember where it was at. I think it's in I thought it was in Matthew. I think that's where Zach read that. But um, so would you say the glory of God is definitely the spring goal of all creation? Right? Angels are made as creatures. We are creatures also. Angels will forever give God glory, will they not? And they give God glory in a huge way today and so take the redemption of fallen humans and they see what God does with them in all of his wisdom in his salvation plan in his grace and mercy he takes the fallen men of mankind redeems some of them and now what happens to their praise Do you think their praise gets enhanced because they see the great grace of God upon a people who don't deserve it? Does that help us see that a little bit? Did did you find it? Matthew 18? All right. Somebody read that there. Yeah. The angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Yeah. Thank you, guys. They called that a Thanks. That helps. They always see the face of the Father. What all that means, I'm not sure. But they're they're in His presence constantly. While they minister to us, still yet they are in the presence of God, doing uh, His service and worship. And uh, that's an incredible thought. I mean, these are incredible creatures, these angels are. Just amazing. And God is working in conjunction here using the church to make the praises that the angels have even more glorious. That enhances their praise. Yeah. Also, even some of the, uh, I guess I'll call those metaphysics types people, they believe in angels too, but, you know, there's a lot of people who don't necessarily believe in Jesus, but they believe in angels. Yeah, they... Angels. 
every once in a while, if you notice, there's a lot of books that'll come out on angels. Yeah. They're not necessarily Christian books, but just, just the world will go crazy. You know, TV, movies, and touched by an angel. <laughs> well, that was during that time period. That was big. Angel in the outfield. Yeah, yeah. I love the movie. <laughs> angel food cake. Hey, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Well, since I'm going to go out of order here, but look in Luke 15:10. Since we're going along with that that Matthew 18 passage, let's look at Luke 15:10. And look what they do when somebody gets saved. You guys already know what I'm talking about, don't you? Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, you know when you really you read that, you remember that, but you think about how God is rejoicing. A lot of times you forget about those, those, the word angel in there, like the passage that was just in the Matthew 18. We've read that many times, but how many times has it really stuck out in your mind about angels? You know, you're talking about children there or whatever and, and God, but sometimes we forget that angels play a huge part of it. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God. They are just delighted when somebody comes to the Lord. Well, aren't we? Absolutely. Now, try to magnify that a little bit more. Angels, uh, with with their intellect, uh, realizing there's, there's another one added to the church, to the body of Christ. With their being in the presence of God, always. How great is this God that we have? I mean, we can't come up with enough words. Look in Revelation 4. Do they rejoice because they know that Well, they know that's uh, God's plan, part of His plan. And uh, their, their whole being, uh, just like our being, is, but they realize it better, uh, praising God. They're in His presence. When we're in His presence, we're going to understand worship a lot better than we do now. <laughs> much better. I think they understand praise and worship much better than we do. And don't they know that when the number is full, then we get revelation? I imagine they can't wait to see this thing whenever it's all done, to see how glorious it's still being built. You've seen a big building that that's being made in the city, and you keep looking, boy, that's just fantastic, but I can't wait till it's done. Or you ever had a house build or anything? You know, you watch it go up and say, that's great. But you don't, you know, you're still not glorying in it until you get this thing done and you get to experience it, you know. It's the Revelation 4. Revelation 4, 8. 8, 8 through 11. Uh, who has it there? Somebody read that. Take it. And the four beasts, four, four, eight, right? And the four beasts, is that right? Yep. Okay, and the four beasts had each of the had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And then, and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Wow. Everybody knows the holy, 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 right? Lord God, all these are like songs that we sing. 
there was and is and is to come. Matter of fact, there is a song <laughs> that uses, I think there are a lot of songs that do that, but there's one called the Revelation Song that's out right now. Does that. And then, you are worthy, O Lord, receive glory and honor. And pe- Don't you love those words? We're going to be doing that. We do it now, but one of these days, can you imagine, not only being in the presence of the triune God, but then not only with the full body of Christ, and then all the multitudes of angels and singing these praises. Whew! Man, perfectly. They never stop. Wow. We can't imagine that either. That's what they exist for. And they enjoy every bit of it. (laughs) Wow. You are created. For you created all things. Boy, isn't this something. Boy, this is teaching education, isn't it? God created all things. And by His will, they exist and were created and by His will. And I won't have to set up a sound system. <laughs> no more. <laughs> that natural natural acoustics, boy, is going to be incredible, isn't it? The concert of the ages. I'll be attending. Well, since we're there in Revelation, turn to chapter 5. The Lamb of God, worthy as a lamb. Verse 8. Somebody like to have the privilege of reading that one? <laughs> Verse 8 and, uh, through 14. 8 through 14. Rest of the chapter. Any bold ones out there? And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a heart, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. How far did you say? Keep going through the rest of the chapter. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, hmm. and ten thousand times ten thousand. <laughs> they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice was saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them sing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Does that make you want to fall down and worship right now? This is it. This is where it's all heading, right here. Every one of you have a nice smile on your face. I'm telling you, we know it's worth it all. Man, I'll tell you, life is hard. Life has a lot of struggles. But boy, when you start comparing it to this and you go, I wouldn't trade a thing. This is why. This is it. This is true. This is real. This is praise. You know, we, we sing songs and we do that and we're just all we're doing is practicing when we come together on Sunday morning or other times when we have Bibles. So we're worshiping God together and boy, isn't it beautiful? Boy, that this is just rehearsal. This is I mean, when the real thing happens, I can't wait. I can't wait. Now even fallen angels, we're talking about the heavenly angels here, and we're talking about the unfallen angels. But the the chosen angels, right? That's scriptural. But even the fallen angels, whether they want to or not, they glorify God too. 
Now, that may sound strange, but God is glorified by continually frustrating their plans, and they have a lot of plans to destroy, destroy the plans of the church. Our plans that we have to glorify God, they want to destroy that, but God brings them to futility. God brings them that uh, he de- they are not going to destroy the church. They will never do that. And matter of fact, His wrath even displays His glory. You know that? We have to turn to Romans 9 now. We've been to Revelation. Now we go to Romans 9. Uh, I was talking to Zach Whitson earlier and we were talking about Isaiah 53. <laughs> Don't you love all those chapters? Then we've been in Ephesians. Can you think of any weak chapter of the Bible? They're all strong, aren't they? But Romans 9 says something there that... Um, wait. Yeah. Romans 9:19 says something that really sounds kind of... Um, I'm stalling here. Because... What verses do you have? Well, you said Romans 9.19. Yeah, but I'm not so sure if it's really... Just read Isaiah 53. There we go. <laughs> it's, it's kind of about the Gentiles there. What I was thinking of is... Uh, no. Wait, I'm in 10? I'm in 10. Okay, they'll do it. Do it. I'm in 10. Okay. In 10 what? See, the electronic things are much better because if you put 9 in there, you'll go right to it. I, I turn to 10. Okay. Romans 9, 19 to 22. Romans 9, 19? Yeah. Go. It's your turn anyway. You'll say to me that why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will this, will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Okay, the, 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 this is the big one right here, verse 22. Oh, sorry. What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with uh, much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? So does God give get glory out of even the ones who are disobedient and rebellious? Yes, He does. Because he that's how He makes His power known. But He has patience with... Here He's talking about people, but I would assume it would be the same thing with angels who to try to destroy His plan. Satan tries to uh, destroy that, but God makes His power known. Uh, to mankind and how much more even with angels because he definitely has shown his wrath on them in their fall and then eventually they will be judged uh, to their completion but then verse 23 is equally good too in displaying his glory that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory you know what those are difficult verses those are hard verses but we can't ignore them. They're there. Matter of fact, all of Romans 9 is very hard, isn't it? It's about the sovereignty of God. That's why. Uh, man has problems whenever God can do whatever he wants. And we were talking earlier, uh, who knows the mind of God? Humans uh, 
can't unless God reveals certain things. Salvation, I would say, is definitely a great manifestation of the very wisdom of God. It took God's wisdom to solve the dilemma that He had when man fell. Whenever sin came about, there wasn't anyone who could have thought of this solution. No man, no angel, only God that could come up with this plan of the ages. But He knew it was coming. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's the thing. Okay. And you never go, surprised. wow, how, how can I wrap myself he, around this one? Surprised. He, he's never surprised. He's never surprised. That's hard to believe, because we sure are. I'm surprised a lot. You guys ever get surprised? <laughs> they saw Adam's fall. Problem is now presented. It's the most profound problem that ever has arisen. When you have this sin, what are you going to do with it? Angels had to be baffled when this happened. I mean, we're not told, uh, you know, how they saw this, but you can imagine God is doing what He's wanting to do. And the angels, then later, as Carolyn was talking about, saw the Son of God coming to earth, taking on the form of man, which they had done before too. Angels had done that and appeared before man. How else are you going to see an angel unless they appear in a human form? Or in some form of fashion there. Um, but to come in the way that he did, in the manger, and then living the life that he did and uh, living in a poor way and not in a mansion, of course, and being a carpenter's son. Uh, then they see him on the cross and that the agony and, you know, he's taking on our sin and they're, they're watching this. They have to be amazed. They have to be totally astonished. This is all for those wicked people. And he's doing it. And and the Gentiles, they weren't even the chosen people at first, right? <laughs> and and they and they all come together in the church. Now that is is really where Paul has really been pointing at here anyway, as he's writing to the Ephesian people who are Gentile people for the most part. And so you know, they're seeing the different ways that God is saved. They saw Saul before he was Paul in, in the blinding light. And then you take uh, who uh, Lydia, the Thyatira, or uh, you know the seller of purple, and God just opened her heart. Wasn't anything amazing that that you saw out of the sky or anything? You know, just different ways. Um, how about the Philippian jailer? He uses what an earthquake there, and and, and he's, all of a sudden he says, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved." They saw all the different varieties, the manifold wisdom of God of how He did this. Think about how people were saved right there in Jerusalem um, the, at, at the time of the very early church. How about people that knew that there was an earthquake there like the Roman centurion that was around there. They saw how he was saved, if that be the case, right? And how about priests? The Jewish priests who became believers, maybe because they saw the rip in the veil from top to bottom. And and we know in the book of Acts it says a priest came to salvation at, at during the early church. They're seeing so many different ways. You're all saved the same way by grace. 
But yet God does it in a multifaceted way. And we all have different stories here of how God brought us to Christ. Yeah. And also Peter, when, he, when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? He said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but God. Came to him. What's that? So many ways. As many people as there are there. I mean, wouldn't it be neat to be able to hear all of our stories? I think we've probably all heard them somewhere. What's that? Then he oh, yeah. yeah. Get behind me. Is that before or after? I mean, because we know he denied him after that. I mean, so. Hey, we have to go to 1 Peter 1.12. We, we can't miss going to this tonight. Have you been to 1 Peter 1.12? I've been there like half an hour. You couldn't wait till we got there. Okay. Now, now, the prophets in the Old Testament, they're writing this stuff down. They're writing about the Messiah, and they're going, what, what, what does that mean? And they, they examine other writings, what they wrote, other prophets, and they're, they're trying to figure this out. Peter talks about this, of this salvation. The prophets have inquired, searched carefully, who prophesied of the, look at this, grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, Old Testament, and the glories that would follow. To them, First Peter 1, I started at verse 10. And the glories that follow. Verse 12, to them, to the prophets, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which, what? Angels desire to look into. They are very fascinated by this creation that God has, the church and how through the grace that Christ had and the sufferings and then the glories and now the apostles like Paul then bringing that gospel out and it's now been disclosed and the angels are looking into this great glorious story. It's just like the angels are stooping down in order to look into this. That's the idea. They're longing to look into that. They're they're looking down at this many-colored wisdom of God, the prism that reflects the light into all the spectrums. And so therefore, when one comes to the Lord, what do they do? They rejoice. Well, the privilege of the mystery, uh, we're not going to find the privilege of the uh, the mystery tonight. We'll look at that next week. No, what's that? You're going to the passage about the angels looking at, you know, like they desire to look to us into it. It's because of us having the Holy Spirit and then being aware of the Holy Spirit, but not using for the words. Well, what he's saying there, uh, he's saying, okay, now what the prophets had, the apostles now have this message in its 
full way, and they're ministering this, this mystery that Paul refers to, and it's the same thing. They preach that gospel because by the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And that's where the Holy Spirit is referring to, not not the angels, but it's talking about from the apostles and the the preachers of now the gospel. And of course, all of us, all the church. I don't think it's emphasizing uh, there. It's talking about the Holy Spirit that empowers the gospel for people to believe that they preach that um, via the power of, of the Spirit, and they're looking into these same things that the prophets had looked upon, this gospel, this grace, the things which angels desire to look into. So you have the gospel, you have the power of the gospel through the Spirit that's being preached, and the angels then are uh, looking into this this great story of God's grace. Well, I think we'll, uh, we'll close there, but I think we have to think of the great calling that we have. I think our imagination, if we really look at this as hard as we can, is stretched to the limit. How far can we go with this imagination? I think it is they're unseen. They're so tremendous and so stupendous that uh, there are heavenly realities that our finite minds cannot get a hold of. But believe me, you still believe it, don't you? You know that God is doing that. Our, our gifts really seem small. You look at those Louis Giglio videos and you see how small we are and the further they go out and expand and see God's creation, the smaller you feel. You don't even think you even you can even get any smaller. And yet those small little gifts that we've been given are part of God's great grand scheme that He's working out, this great plan, the revelation of His superior glory. And I think it, it just takes... It, it, it takes on stupendous proportions in a way that we cannot fathom. It's just unbelievable. And, you know, we're considered to be the light of the world to, to the lost. We have the light of the gospel. Are we sharing just the simple good news with the lost, right? Since we know all of this, um, you think of being the light of the world. We're, let's take it and expand it out. We're the light of the cosmos in the sense that we're even being used by God to the angels out there. And I think God's mercy and grace is on display uh, through us. The angels uh, are seeing, like I said before, it's it's a cosmic showcase of God's wisdom. An incredible passage. I fall far short of bringing forth what this means, but I hope it's expanded us a little bit more of seeing the wisdom of God. Are there any books about angels here at Alpha and Omega Christian Bookstore, Dennis? (laughs) (laughs) Now, let's see. I was trying to... This we're in a phase right now that angels is not a hot item, so there really haven't been any books written about it lately. Now, there's a David Jeremiah book. Billy Graham. Uh, let's see. Which is not a bad book. 
copies. And there's a lot of scriptural stuff in there. Uh, there's a book on heaven by Randy Alcorn. Did you? Do you guys? Some of you guys have studied that. What do you guys think of that? Is that really good stuff? It's a mixed thing. Some of it's good, some of it isn't. Well, we want all good. <laughs> Stick to the Bible. Hope it. That's a very good one. Sure is. I've, I've read that one. Yep. The hope of heaven. The hope of heaven. Very scriptural. Very scriptural. It goes with all the passages dealing with heaven. It's. That's it. That's what that's what revelation means. Unveiling.
believe aloud the words of this prophecy, blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in the time is near. And people have so corrupted that book. I think it's pretty straightforward, really. It is. You know what you're Read it loud, right? Read it aloud. Well, yeah, I saw it just as we were going through just a few passages dealing with worship there, how everybody was... Uh, weren't you excited as you read read that? Anyway, God and His revealed Word, it's an incredible thing that He would give us those things. All the history to Oh, yeah. It's not going to be a little quiet worship where everybody's quiet. You're going to stand the whole time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>